All right, looks like everyone's back. So please uh, open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 20. So if you're new to the Bible, the book of Acts is in the New Testament, and it's just to the right of the Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's the book of Acts right after that. So find the 20th chapter of Acts. <clears throat> We're going to read verses 28 to 32 this morning. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 32. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant illumination from this, this message that Paul gave to these elders so many hundreds of years ago, that, Lord, it would shed fresh light in our minds. Lord, today is a special day, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would attend the reading, the exposition, the preaching of the word, that it would come with power to hearts. Make it live, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, today is a real milestone in the history of the Bridge Church. Um, it was May of 2011 when we first started to plan and pray and try to get a few people together to plant a new church. So about six years ago. Oleg was one of the first few. Oleg was there. De of course, Debbie was there. Judy was there. And I were there. I was there. Um, but ever since the beginning, we have always believed that God, it's God's will for us to have a multiple eldership, more than one elder. But we've never been able to have that because we never had a biblically qualified man who felt called to that particular ministry. And so for the last six years, I've labored basically alone in the eldership, wanting to have more elders, but not being able to do so. When you're a small church and there's only a handful of men, uh, it's not easy to find another biblically qualified, called man of God to be an elder. But after waiting a long, long time, today is a joyous day because we're going to be adding another elder to the eldership here at the bridge. Uh, Jerome and Esmeralda and their three children started attending regularly in January of 2016, so about a year and three months ago. And ever since that time, they've just thrown themselves into the work of the ministry here. They've served the Lord with abandon and zeal and joy. And now it feels like you guys have always been here. You can't imagine what the church would be like if you weren't here. Uh, it's just your, your stalwarts in the church. And Jerome, over the last year, has preached many times. We've been blessed by his preaching ministry. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that elders and deacons have to first be tested and then let them serve if they're beyond reproach. And so the job of the church is to test those men before they are installed and appointed officially as elders. And so we've been going through that process over the last several months. I've asked you on multiple occasions to please let me know if you believe that Jerome meets the biblical requirements of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. I sat down with Esmeralda and we had a little interview and asked her. She knows him better than anybody in the world. And she gave me her, her honest feedback. I called up Jerome's boss and I said, can you give me a report? Does he have a good reputation with those there in the work community that he works at? And in all these places, Jerome passed with flying colors. So that brings us to today. What I would like to do this morning is look at a passage in the book of Acts where Paul is addressing elders. And I want to try to ask and answer four questions. Here are the four questions. What is an elder? Second question, who makes a person an elder? 
Third question, what are the duties of an elder? And the fourth question is, what are the supports of an elder? First of all, what is an elder? What is an elder? Well, verse 17, we didn't read this earlier, but in verse 17 it says, From Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Now notice, in the church at Ephesus, there were a number of elders together that formed a team. Now let's go back in our mind's eye for just a few minutes and remember what took place in Ephesus. Paul spent three years in Ephesus. That was the longest amount of time that he spent anywhere. And while he was there, a great revival broke out. In fact, Paul was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. And people were even taking handkerchiefs from Paul and laying them on the sick so that they would recover. The Bible says that a great number of the magicians and sorcerers took their magic books and burnt them and the value of those books if we were to value them today would come to about six million dollars so that tells me there's a lot of books and there's a lot of magicians getting converted okay so I would guess there's hundreds of people coming to Christ in the city of Ephesus and there are many elders that have been set apart to oversee and to shepherd that church in that city those are the men that Paul calls to himself because he needs to have a talk with them. Paul doesn't believe that he's ever going to be passing through Ephesus again, and he needs to give them some final instructions before he goes. Now, the word elder is a title. It's a title. And in the Old Testament, we have elders too. I don't know if, if you remember that, but many the, the Jews had elders that would lead them and would provide leadership for the various tribes of Israel. So an elder in the Old Testament was an older man. He was a man that had possessed wisdom, lived a godly life, and was able to provide leadership to the rest of the nation. Well, in the New Testament, it's very similar. An elder is a spiritually mature man who lives a godly life and provides leadership to the church that he's a part of. Now, go over with me to verse 28. Paul says there, now remember who he's talking to, the elders. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. Who are these guys? Are they elders or overseers? They're both, aren't they? An elder is an overseer according to this verse. But let's keep reading. To shepherd the church of God. Now, what does the word shepherd mean? If you're to shepherd someone, it means to pastor those people. In this, very, in this one verse, you've got elders who are overseers, who are pastors. You see that? They shepherd, that means they're pastors. They oversee, that means they're overseers. And they are spiritually mature men. They're elders. So an elder is an overseer, an overseer is a pastor, and an elder is a pastor. Those three words are interchangeable terms. You can, you, I'm a pastor, but I'm also an elder, and I'm also an overseer. And today, Jerome is going to be officially set apart to be a pastor, an overseer, and an elder. You see, pastor's the title. Overseeing and, pa yeah, overseeing and shepherding are the functions that an elder does. So in, the title of elder refers to the person who is a spiritually mature individual. His functions, his duties include shepherding and overseeing the flock. It's the highest position in the local church in terms of authority. There is, since each local church is autonomous, meaning independent, there's no outside apostle or somebody who possesses authority over each local church. So the elders of that local church are the ones given the authority by God to direct its affairs and to manage what goes on within that church. Um, the word, the word elder occurs 17 times in the New Testament. The word overseer occurs five times. How many times do you think the word pastor occurs? Once. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now, we always call this person a pastor. But in, in the New Testament, it's a rare thing to find the word pastor. It's a much more common term to, to find the word elder in the New Testament. But you can call the same person by any of those terms that you want because that's who he is. So, an overseer then must rule. That's what a, an overseer does. He rules or exercises authority to direct and manage and supervise the affairs of the church. A pastor feeds and cares for the flock. And an elder then exemplifies spiritual maturity by a godly life. Now, in many churches, and I was part of a church, there was one pastor with many elders. It's kind of like the President of the United States, and he's got his cabinet members under him, and the cabinet members are supposed to give him advice, but he's the head honcho. He makes the final decision. The buck stops with the President. Okay, A lot of churches are set up like that, and I was part of a church where I was an elder, but then there was the pastor. Do you see any problems with that? Now that we've looked at the Bible, there isn't a difference between the pastor and the elders. They're the same function, they're the same um, office within the local church. You don't have a pastor with sort of an elder board that's under him, assisting him and helping him. No, you have a team of men called elders or pastors or overseers, and these men together shepherd and oversee the church. It's not like the pastor is on the varsity team and the elders are the JV. You know what I mean? No, they're all varsity. <laughs> and each one of them are working together to shepherd that local church. Um, have you ever heard the term senior pastor? You know, senior pastor. The, the term doesn't come up in the Bible. The Bible never talks about a senior pastor. It does say that Jesus in 1 Timothy 5.4 is the chief shepherd. Now, shepherd means pastor, and chief means first or senior. So the only senior pastor in the Bible is Jesus Christ. He's the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor. Nobody else qualifies to be a senior pastor, because in the Bible, nobody is senior. Every All the elders are on a, a, the, the same playing field. They share authority equally with one another. Now, different elders have different gifts. Some are gifted in teaching and preaching, and others are gifted in ruling and administrating and counseling and things like that. Different elders will have different ministries that they're called to. All of that is true, but there's not one elder that has more authority than another elder. There might be a first among equals, like when you look at the apostles. Peter was sort of the spokesman for the other 11 apostles. They, they deferred that to him. He was sort of a, a natural-born leader, it appears. But yet, Peter did not possess more authority than John or the other apostles. They worked together as an apostolic team to do the work of planting churches and overseeing churches in the first century. There is one example of somebody that wanted to be the senior pastor. He's not called that. <laughs> this is in 3 John, if you want to look it up. It says there in 3 John that this fellow wanted to be first, which is what a senior pastor is. Top dog, right? The letter of 3, 3 John, verse 9. Paul or John says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So here we have a fellow named Diotrephes. <laughs> this fellow wanted to be first among the church. And he was kicking people out of the church he didn't like. He was trying to have the last say in what took place in that church. Does John hold him up as a good example for the rest of us? It was a negative example, right? A bad example. He even says, don't imitate what is evil. Don't be like that Diotrephes fellow. The one who does good, that person's of God. The one who does evil, like Diotrephes, he has not even seen God. So... 
The idea of one person exalting himself to be Lord over the rest of the church is not biblical. Now, <laughs> I have kind of <clears throat> had to function as the only elder of the church for the last six years. Not because I wanted to, but because I had to. There was nobody else to do it with me. But I'm so glad that God has given us somebody else. I am so glad about that. When the elders need to rule, when they need to come to decisions regarding the life of the body, I believe the best thing for them to do is to pray together and to seek the mind of the Lord and to try to seek a consensus among them. And I believe in most 99% of the cases that God will give them a consensus. I think it would be very rare they would have to make a decision where they had not come to a consensus. And so that's going to be our goal. When Jerome and I need to make decisions, we're going to really strive to try to come of, to of one mind and pray and ask God to give us His solution for whatever those decisions are. Um, other churches are governed by one pastor and a bunch of deacons. A lot of Baptist churches. Congregational rule. There's a a pastor, a bunch of deacons to do the serving work. The, de the deacons really function as sort of an elder board a lot of times in those churches. Um, the, the difficulty with that is that in the Bible, when you have the word elder or overseer or pastor, every time it's in the plural. You don't find ever a single elder over a church, or a single pastor over a church, or a single overseer over a church. There's always a number, a team, a board, you might say, of men that fill that office. Now, we're trying to define what an elder is. He's a spiritually mature man. He's an overseer of the church. He's a shepherd of the church. He's part of a team. But there is something else that we need to say about an elder. He's a male. He's a man. And we need to make that distinction. In our passage here in the book of Acts, I went into the Greek to look at all of the different words that carried a gender. Like, in English, our words don't carry gender. Right? If I said, if I said, that man is walking, the word walking doesn't carry any gender. But in the Greek, it does. Verbs can carry a gender. They, it's either masculine, feminine, or neuter. So I took a look at all the words here in Acts chapter 20 when Paul was talking to the elders to find out what gender he used. Was it feminine? Was it neuter? Or was it masculine? And in every single case, when a word had gender, referring to the elders, it was masculine. It was always masculine. Added to that, 1 Timothy chapter 3 speaks um, about a man should not have more than one wife if he is to be an elder. He has to be above reproach, the husband, not the wife, the husband of one wife. Added to that, we have 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 11, which says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, what are the two things that an elder must do? He's got to teach, and he has to exercise authority in the church. But Paul says he doesn't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And so for these reasons, I, I do not believe that it's biblical to appoint women to the eldership. I personally do believe that there is a place for women as deaconesses in the church. Uh, we don't have any deacons in our church at this point, but we could have them and we could have deaconesses. A deacon is simply a servant. That's what the word deacon means. The official servants of the church. They model servanthood for the rest of the body. So this is going to be a man. He's going to be an overseer, he's going to be a shepherd, and he's going to be a spiritually mature individual. So here's our definition. Elders are spiritually mature men who shepherd and oversee the flock together. And I think that comes real, real close to what we find in the scriptures concerning this person. Now, second question. Who makes a person an elder? Let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 20.
Who makes a person an elder? Paul said, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Do you see that text? So, if a person's a part of the church and he says, Hey, I like to talk in front of people. And I like to kind of tell people what to do. I think I'll nominate myself to be a pastor here. That's not the way it works. <laughs> it does not work that way. It doesn't even work where the church nominates so-and-so to be a pastor, and then they all vote. Do you ever find that in the Bible? The church nominating people and voting them into office? That's not in the Bible either. And I don't even think it's the job of the current elders just to make a unilateral decision, yeah, we'll accept him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has to make someone an overseer. The Holy Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit calls someone to this particular work. 1 Timothy 3, 2 says, it's a fine work which he desires to do. And it is work. Because it's going to consume time. It's going to consume, consume uh, your attentions. You're going to have to pray about situations. You're going to have to get involved in, in all kinds of different situations that are not pleasant, being an elder or a shepherd. So it is a work. So the Holy Spirit makes a person an overseer or an elder or a pastor. And when he does it, then there's going to be some confirmations. Because if the Holy Spirit makes somebody a pastor, then he's also going to give them the gifts that they need to do the work of a pastor. He'll give them the gift to be able to communicate truth to other people. He will also give them the character necessary to provide an example to the rest of the church. And when the Holy Spirit calls someone to be a pastor, you're going to have a confirmation from the person. They're going to feel the call. They're going to have this burden laid upon them to do this work. They'll want to do the work. Okay, so a confirmation from the person. There'll be a confirmation from the rest of the elders. They will also agree that yes, the Holy Spirit has set this person apart. We see it. And then the rest of the church will confirm it. That's why I've been asking the church to let me know if you confirm Jerome's calling. Because that's one of the ways we sense that the Holy Spirit has done this. So we're not just trying to fill offices in the church by nominating and voting. We're trying to see who has God made a pastor in this church. That's what we're doing. Now, the third question we need to look at is this. What are the duties of an elder? What has God called him to do? Well, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the very first duty is to be on guard for himself. Did you notice that that's put even before being on guard for the flock? Before he can shepherd the flock, he needs to shepherd his own soul. Before he can be on guard for other people, he has to be on guard against enemies that would attack him. He can't lead other people where he hasn't gone himself. So, if a pastor wants the church to be passionate about evangelism and making disciples, then that pastor needs to model that to the church. They need to be out there evangelizing and making disciples. If a pastor wants his people to be sacrificial givers, then he needs to provide the example of being a sacrificial giver. If a pastor wants his flock to be serving other people, humbly serving other people, then he needs to provide that example to them himself. If he wants them to be involved in a missional community, then he should be involved in a missional community. You see what I'm saying? He needs to provide an example for the rest of the flock. The pastor has to guard his own soul before he can guard anybody else's soul. And as goes the leaders, so goes the church. So the very first thing that Paul tells these elders is watch over your soul. Watch out for yourself. Now there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, so that his relationship with Christ is vibrant. If a man doesn't guard, set a guard over himself, He's in danger of losing a close relationship with Christ. The work of an elder can very easily erode a person's relationship with Christ. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? You think the work of an elder would always cause that person to be close to Jesus, but it's not the case because the stresses and the strains sometimes of being an elder can be so great and the commitment so demanding that he can leave his first love. 
And instead of reading the Bible for the enjoyment of having God speak to him, he may only pick up his Bible just to get a sermon. See the difference? Instead of praying and singing songs of worship to the Lord because he loves the Lord and delights to do those kinds of things, he may just let that go down the wayside. That's what can happen if we don't watch over our own selves and our own souls. A pastor has to take time to be alone with God. He has to nourish a secret devotional life. So he needs to watch over himself so that his relationship with Jesus Christ is vibrant. And a second reason that he needs to guard his own soul is so that he doesn't live in the same sins that he preaches against in others. Hebrews 12.14 says, Without holiness no man will see the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or just a newly converted person. If you stand before the Lord and you did not live a holy life, you won't see him. You won't be in his presence. Holy people are what is going to populate heaven. Now, of course, nobody's perfectly holy, but I'm talking about the general tenor and direction of our lives must be a life of holiness. And that is especially true for pastors. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says that he, was, he feared that after he preached to others, he himself might be disqualified. Now, that's kind of a scary verse. After I preach to others, I do not want to be disqualified myself, he says. It's, and it's for this reason that I strongly encourage other elders and pastors never to counsel a woman alone. I know you can't find that in the Bible, but to me it's just common sense. I've seen too many men fall into adultery or fornication because they don't set up safeguards and standards to keep them at a place where that can't happen. Um, godly, mature women in the church can counsel other women. Or if they do need the pastor to counsel them, my wife can come with me. There's no reason I have to meet with another woman alone because that's just throwing me open to temptation that I don't want to have to face. I, I don't want to fall into sin. And I just think it's a good safeguard for any man. 1 Timothy 3.2 says that we have to be beyond reproach. Of course, that doesn't mean that you're perfect because nobody would ever qualify to be a pastor. But it does mean you're a person of integrity. And when you sin, you repent of that sin. You're not living a double life, like I'll live one way on Sunday and then another way Monday through Saturday. You know, <laughs> I'll live... The, the, the Brian you see is a totally different Brian than the rest of the week. We have to be the same individual whether we're at work or whether we're in the presence of, of the church. You see, a pastor is different from any other public speaker. Any other public speaker, maybe they have to tell the truth, but a pastor has to live the truth that he tells. He's got to live it out. And so it's not an easy position. It's not an easy office. It's a very, very difficult one. Have you ever noticed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 when Paul gives the qualifications that almost every single one is the man's character? There's only one Mention of any skill at all, he has to be able to teach. That's it. Every other thing. He's beyond reproach. He's the husband of one wife. He's temperate, respectable, dignified, not given to much wine. His children are under control with all dignity. Every other one talks about the man's character. So that's, when you're looking for a pastor, you're looking for a man who lives a holy life, who can teach the word of God, and who loves the people. Now, Today, when you get a pastoral search committee, what are the first things that they look for? They look someone who can spell, give these spell-binding sermons, you know, or somebody who's been successful in business, or somebody who has money. Those are not biblical requirements for a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, famous or obscure. It does matter if you live a godly life. It does matter if you're fearless in declaring truth to God's people. And it does matter that you love the people of God. Those things matter. So the very first thing a pastor must do is guard his own soul. The second thing Paul tells these elders to do is to guard the flock. Notice how he puts it. Be on guard for yourselves and for who? All the flock. And I think that's important. 
He doesn't tell them to be on guard for the part of the flock that is likable. You know, the part of the flock that is encouraging. The part of the flock that he feels close to. The, the ones that are wealthy or smart or funny. No, he says be on guard for all the flock. That includes the stubborn sheep, the wayward sheep, the disgruntled sheep, the ornery sheep, the, pe the sheep with all the problems. <laughs> you got to be on guard for every single one of them. Whether you personally can connect with that person or not is not the issue. You are responsible before God to watch over and guard these sheep from predators like savage wolves who will tear them apart. And that's what he says. Right? He says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, why does a wolf come into a flock of sheep? Is it because he just likes to hang out with sheep and nuzzle up against them and cuddle with them? No. So in one reason, a wolf will come into a flock, and that's because he wants to kill some sheep and eat them. Right? And he calls these Wolves, savage, bloodthirsty, people out for a kill. They want to destroy the people of God. Paul says, you elders, be on guard against those savage wolves. And notice where they're at. They're going to come into the flock. That means that right now they're outside the flock. These people will come in from the outside. Watch out for them. Now this, I'm, I'm convinced was Paul thinking about his own ministry. Because wherever city he went to, he would start a church, and he would leave. And guess what would happen after a few weeks or days or months? The Judaizers would come in. The Judaizers are those Jews from Jerusalem who would come in, and they'd find these brand new Christians, and they would say, well, you've come to believe in Jesus, have you? Well, that's good, but it's just not good enough. You also need to get circumcised if you want to be saved. And you need to keep the law of Moses if you want to be saved. And Paul says those guys are savage wolves. They're destroying the people of God because the truth of the scripture is that Jesus is enough all by himself. Faith in Christ alone is what matters. Not keeping the Old Testament law of Moses, not getting circumcised. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So those were savage wolves in the life of Paul. They would come in from the outside. Paul says, you elders, watch out for them. Don't let them in. Don't let them destroy the people of God. But then he says, in verse 30, And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. So it's not just people coming in from the outside. He says, people right from among you, in your own midst, from within the church, they're going to rise up, and they're going to speak perverse things, now, why would they speak perverse things? Because they want to draw away the disciples after them. They want a personal following. They're like Diotrephes. They want to be first among the people of God. So they criticize the other elders. They plant doubt and suspicion in the hearts of the flock. And you say, well, Brian, that never happens. Believe me, it happens. I've been in pastoral ministry since 1990. What is that, 27 years? I've seen this happen over and over. If we had time, I could tell you a long story about it. <laughs> I'll tell you the short version. Um, when I was pastoring Milpitas Bible Fellowship, there was a man who came into the church, and very soon after he arrived, he started to argue and debate about the things that were being taught from the pulpit. And wherever he could, I mean, if he was at a small Bible study, he would bring it up and want to argue about that point. After church, we had a Q&A time after church. He would raise his hand and he'd want to argue about the point. And so the elders went to him and said, it's okay that you don't agree with us on these issues. They're not salvation issues, but it's not okay for you to stir up division. It's not okay for you to continually argue about these things. We want you to be at peace if you're going to remain in this body. We want, we want the body to be at peace with each other. So please, cease and desist from your debating and arguing. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't stop. And it finally came to a head where we had to have a church-wide meeting, the whole church assembled, and... As a result of that meeting, that, that brother was excommunicated and he was sent out of the church because he simply would not be at peace with the rest of the church. 
He was speaking perverse things, critical things to draw away disciples after him. Paul says, be on your guard. Savage wolves will come from the outside and even from yourselves. You're going to find people rising up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So an elder's job is to be on the alert. He's looking for wolves, looking for predators, and making sure they don't harm the flock. Folks, you guys are precious. Do you know why I know that? Because of verse 28. I'm, I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. He says he wants them to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now think about that statement. Elders, shepherd the church of God, which he, God, purchased with his own blood. Now wait a minute. God doesn't have blood. God is immaterial. God's not physical. He's a spirit. God doesn't have blood, but Jesus does. This is one of those verses in the Bible that teaches us the deity of Jesus Christ. The Bible here is calling Jesus God because God purchased the church with God's blood. <laughs> and if he did that, do you see how precious the church is to him? That he went to infinite cost and sacrifice to redeem and to obtain the church for himself. That's why we have to guard the flock. Because God paid the greatest cost to purchase those sheep for himself. We can't let somebody come in and just rip them up and tear them to shreds and eat them and devour them. We can't do that. So folks, please don't be offended. Please don't be offended if I hear that uh, you're going to a Benny Hinn service and I want to talk to you about that. Or if you're studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, and I come and say, can I talk to you about what's taking place there? Or if you're meeting with the Mormons. Or if you are reading books by Kenneth Copeland. Or Word of Faith teachers. Or people that will harm you if you continue going down that path. It's not because I just like to talk about negative things. I don't. I don't like confrontation. But if, it, but if I f find out you're coming under the influence of a dangerous teacher... Jerome and I will want to talk to you because we're going to want to protect you from the negative influences of false doctrine. There is so much unsound doctrine on the internet. You just start going around on the internet, you'll find all kinds of crazy, weird, unhealthy, destructive doctrine that's being taught out there. We need to stick to this book and we need to stick to it so closely. That's the only thing that will protect us. So the very first thing, he must guard his own soul. Second thing, he's got to guard the flock. Third duty, he must oversee the flock because he's called an overseer in verse 28. That means he's got to lead. That means he's responsible for the overall supervision and rule of the church. He's like a supervisor or a manager in that respect. He possesses authority to accomplish a task. Now, I know when I start talking about authority, your feathers might get rumpled by that. <laughs> because in America, there's an anti-authority spirit and mood. We're suspicious of people in authority, aren't we? We don't want to submit to authority. We don't like submitting to authority. But that doesn't change the Bible. <laughs> the Bible does say that elders are given a measure of authority to oversee that particular body. Let me give you a few verses. You might say, Brian, you're just making this stuff up. There's no verse like that in the Bible. Well, 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It says, let the elders who rule well. Rule implies authority. Or how about 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. He says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. There are certain people who diligently labor among you. These same people have charge over you in the Lord and these same people give you instruction. He's talking about elders there. 
pastors, overseers, but they have charge over the people in the Lord, it says. Or Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over your souls. Obey and submit. So these are biblical phrases, commands, admonitions. An elder not only has to guard the flock, he's got to oversee the flock. I know a lot of churches have what's called congregational rule. And in congregational rule, the whole church decides every decision that's made. So if you need to change the carpet, the whole church has to come together and vote on whether you should change it or not, what color to change the carpet to. <laughs> I'm just choosing something out of thin air here, but you get the point. All decisions are made by voting by the whole congregation, the membership of that church. And, and not only is that extremely ineffective in getting anything done, but I can't find that in the Bible either. Do you, do you ever read the Bible where the whole church get together and they voted on every issue that came up? The Bible talks about elders who are leading, shepherding, caring for the, the people of God, overseeing the things that took place. So I really have a difficult time reconciling the idea of congregational rule to Scripture. I, I, I rather see the elders are leading the congregation into the will of God. They're, it's like the parents helping the children to understand life and how they're helping them mature and helping them grow up. So here... One of his duties is to oversee the flock. But then again, in Acts chapter 20, he has another duty. He's told there that he must shepherd the church of God. He must shepherd the church of God. Now the King James puts it, he must feed the church of God. How does a shepherd feed the sheep? What does he do in order for those sheep to be healthy and whole? Well, he, he leads them into green pastures, right? He leads them beside quiet waters. He takes them to areas where they can graze, where there's good food, not where there's predators and not where there's poisons that they could eat and be harmed. So he leads them to places where they can be healthy and strong. And that's what elders and pastors and overseers have to be doing. They have to be teaching God's people the Word of God. This book is God's food for our soul. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is what we eat. This is our manna. <laughs> this is our food to make you strong and healthy. And a, a shepherd, a pastor's job is to take this book and teach you line upon line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, opening up for you, God, so you hear God's voice, you see the Lord, and you hear the Lord talking, and you receive from the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, and he's teaching you, because, folks, our opinion doesn't mean anything. I could stand up here and just spout off my opinion, and that's worthless, because it's, all it is is my opinion. But if I'm telling you this is what the Bible says... And this is what the Bible means, and this is how you can apply the meaning of that text. That's got value, because now God is speaking. God spoke in His Word, but He uses preachers, teachers, and pastors to help us continue to hear His voice today. So that's why we put such a high premium on expositional teaching here at the bridge. That's why we give to nearly an hour just to be in the Word every Sunday, because we need food. We need to be strong. We need to be healthy. This is where we're going to get it. We're not going to get it from music. We're not going to get it from people talking about their visions and dreams and experiences. We're not going to get it from people talking about stories about the old dog that bit grandma so-and-so. <laughs> you know, these. we're not going to get it from jokes and jokesters. We're going to get it from the clear verse-by-verse -verse instruction of what God has said. That's a pastor's job. This is how he shepherds. This is how he feeds the sheep. He's got to know the Bible, and he's got to be able to communicate the Bible to other people. Now, not all pastors are gifted the same way. Some pastors are very gifted in teaching, and other pastors are very gifted in like one-on-one -on -one counseling or small group Bible studies. 
but it doesn't matter. They're still communicating the truth in various ways in the body of Christ. So a shepherd has to shepherd the flock of God faithfully, line upon line, precept upon precept. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 13 to 16. He says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself. There it is again, right? Be on guard for yourselves. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you did you hear that last line paul's telling timothy if you do what i just told you you're going to ensure salvation for yourself <laughs> if you faithfully do what god's called you to do that's going to enable you to persevere to the end and prove to be a true christian <laughs> now notice how he puts this give attention to don't neglect, take pains, be absorbed, pay close attention, persevere. An elder has got to give himself to this work. You see that? It, the work is difficult, the work is hard, and he's going to have to give himself to it. And it will not be easy. Richard Baxter, talking about the preciousness of God's sheep, makes this statement. Can you not hear Christ saying, Did I die for these people, and will you then refuse to look after them? Were they worth my blood, and are they not worth your labor? Did I come down from heaven to seek and save that which was lost, and will you refuse to go next door, or to the next street or village to seek them? How small is your labor or condescension compared to mine? I debased myself to do this, but it is your honor to be so employed. Have I done and suffered so much for their salvation, and will you refuse that little that lies upon your hands? Every time we look out upon our congregations, let us believingly remember that they are purchased by Christ's blood, and that therefore they should be highly regarded by us. So he has to shepherd the flock, because... God purchased the flock with his own blood. Fourth question. What are the supports of an elder? And I couldn't think of a better way to ask this question. I know it sounds vague, and I'll explain to you what I mean by that. What are the supports of an elder? In other words, how can an elder fulfill this high calling on his life? What can empower him to do it? What will enable him to persevere in it when it is difficult and he wants to give up? That's what I mean by what are the supports. Look at verse 32 from Acts chapter 20. Acts 20 verse 32. Paul says at the very end now, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Do you see the two things that are the supports of an elder here in verse 32? Number one, God... Number two, the word of God's grace. Paul commends them. He see, Paul's leaving. He's not going to be there to help him anymore. He's not going to be able to teach him anymore. They didn't have cell phones back then or email. <laughs> He's gone. They're on their own. But he says, you're not really on your own. I commend you to God and also to the word of God's grace. And those two things together will support you and give you what you need to fulfill this ministry that God has given you and called you to. So first of all, God. Pastors are called to care for the church, but who cares for the pastors? God does. <laughs> God does. God draws near. God empowers them when they need it. God gives them grace to love people that are unlovable at times. God does that. And also, the Word of God does that. God and the Word of His grace and this, to me, is, is just a, such a great support in my life. 
The Word of God brings help to me when I need it. It brings instruction to me when I don't understand what to do. It gives me wisdom when I'm flailing about, wondering, Lord, what do I do in this situation? The Word of God has wisdom. It corrects me when I'm wrong. It keeps us from falling and bringing shame on the ministry. So, the Word of God and the person of God are the two supports that the pastor needs and will enable him to fulfill this high calling in his life. Now, let's just review real quickly. What's an elder? Oh, you guys can tell me what an elder is by now, right? A spiritually mature man who also oversees and shepherds the church along with other men as a team. That's the eldership. Who makes a person an elder? The Holy Spirit. What are the duties of an elder? To guard a soul, to guard the flock, to oversee the flock, and to shepherd the flock. And what are the supports of an elder? God and the word of God's grace. So at this point, I would like to just bring a charge both to Jerome as the new elder here and to the church. All of us need to be charged. <laughs> that is, given an exhortation. So I'm not going to make up my charge. I'm going to repeat an awesome charge that I can ne never do better than this. This is Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, or 2 Timothy chapter 4. So Jerome, if you're out there, this is for you, brother. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine anymore, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll go after teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they're going to turn away their ears from the truth, and they're going to turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And God and God's word will be enough for you. He'll be enough for you. And Bridge Church, my charge for you is pray for your pastors. Because we need it. We totally need you to pray for us. I don't know if any of you think to pray for us, but if you do, God bless you. I thank you for that. I appreciate that very much. We need wisdom. We, oftentimes, Jerome and I will meet together and we'll say, well, what should we do? Well, I'm not sure. Neither am I. Let's pray. <laughs> what does God's word have to say about that? We, we need God to help us in this work. And sometimes it's the work is daunting. Just from my own personal experience, our work really hard. Monday through Saturday. Sundays are a day of refreshment for me. I, I, I feel like the Lord ministers to me so much when I come here on Sundays. But Monday through Saturday, I'm working really hard. And I don't have a lot of extra time anymore. I wish I did. And I hope that changes in the future where I can spend more time in the ministry. But right now, it's not that way. And so you can feel, Lord, I just don't have what it takes to do all the things that need to be done. So please pray for us, because God can make up for that. God can enable us to get done what needs to be done for this body. I would also charge you to follow Jerome's leadership. If Jerome comes to you and, and let's say that your marriage is going through difficulties, and so he tries to help by bringing some godly counsel, instead of resisting that, welcome it. Listen carefully. Give weight to what he shares. He's not going to just talk off the top of his head. He's going to want to bring you the truth of God's word to help you in that situation. So give way to it. Listen to it. Follow his leadership. And if that takes place, we're going to have a well-ordered church that's functioning the way God wants it to function. Now at this point, could you go grab Debbie and Kelly? And I would just like to pray. Father, we pray that you would be honored this morning as we set apart a man for the 
gospel ministry here in this local church to shepherd souls. We pray, Lord, that you would so fill Jerome with your spirit that he's able just to let the life of Christ live through him in abundance and be a, a blessing to every person here. Give him courage against wolves to fight them if necessary. Give him great understanding from your word. Help him to continue to guard his own soul day after day, week by week. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we're... We would like, Jerome, if you would please come. We, as a whole church, I think it would be good for us just to come and lay hands on our brother, set him apart in our affections and in our prayer. So come on up. Would you mind a kneel, brother, so we can all lay hands on you? And this, this is a church prayer. So if you have something on your heart for our brother, please pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful dear brother. We ask you to lay your hand on him now, Lord, that you would teach him and be with him and strengthen him and serve him, Lord. Yes, Lord. Will you please be with him at all times? Hear him when he calls out to you, Father, and send him an answer. Be with you and Brian both, Lord. And bless them with your presence. Father, we ask you to give them each wisdom and show them the way that you want them to go. Yes, Father. Please be with them at all times. Yes, God. Mm. And we just pray that you would um, give our brother wisdom. Yes, Lord. Any one lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. So we ask for Brother Jerome as uh, one of our new pastors, Lord. Would you give him wisdom mm. him to guide us and to lead us um, gently, yes, um, lovingly, strongly, Lord, courageously, yes, Lord. and to um, be an imitator of Jesus Christ. Amen. And in every act of leadership for um, this walk, Lord. Yes, Father. Amen. Thank you for your grace, your peace, and love, Father. We ask you to guide and direct, Brother Jerome. Have your way, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Lord. Hmm. Well, I'm praying for you, Brother Pastor Jerome. Protecting above all, let him love you more than anything. Draw him near to you so he can work. For you, Lord. We'll yes. thank you, Lord. And whatever he do with your name, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm blessing him. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Father. Mm. Dear Heavenly Father, as I pray over my husband right now, I just say thank you. Yes, God. Thank you for allowing, thank you for showing him the truth. Yes, God. God Almighty, thank you so much for accounting that kind of and, and just be a praise and allowing him just be here. God, I pray that you continue to strengthen him, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, we know that the enemy attacks so hard. Amen. And we know that he own fights so hard and he just really trusts in you. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here with this church, Lord, yes, in this body. Yes, Lord. Showing us and giving him <laughs> the, the ears and the heart to listen to you, Lord. Mm. I just pray, Lord, that you just strengthen him as you can strengthen our family and strengthen the church. Amen, here. Lord. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. To Amen. be the man that you put him to be, Lord, because it was no one that did it but you. Amen. That's right, Lord. We give you the glory. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Dear Father, I'd like to ask you to please be with us, Ramona. Yes, God, that's cool. A faithful, truthful, assistant to Jerome. Mm. Father, let them together be strong. And let her be a helpmate to him that he yes, needs Lord. to do your work. Yes, God. Lord, we ask your blessings on both of them and all the children. 
Yes, Lord. Lord, I know how difficult it is with my brother having three small children, wanting to be an example for his family, and then also involved in ministry and having a full-time job. Lord, I know that is so difficult, and I just, I pray, Father, that you would be his support. The Lord, you would lead him to be the man of God in the home and the man of God at work and the man of God here in the church. I pray that you would protect he and Esmeralda's marriage, Lord. I pray that it would be strong and vibrant, Lord. I pray that the enemy would not get in in any way between them, but that they would be strong in you together, O Father. Stand firm in the Holy Spirit together, resisting the enemy. Yes, Lord. Together, Lord, for the faith of the gospel. Lord, I just want to pray for myself, Lord Jesus. I just want to thank you for allowing me to be here. God, I thank you for this body. God, I thank you for Pastor Brian, Lord, and all that I'm just learning from him. Just the person, the character of who he is, Lord God. And I just thank you for allowing me to come to this place. God, thank you for the people here, Lord Jesus. God, help me to just lead, not in my own strength, not in Amen, my own Lord. God, but according to your will and your way. Yes, God, Father. Godly instruction us. I, I attempt to help lead your people with my brother here, God. May more souls come to you, God. May you be lifted up, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes, God, to go forward in your truth, Lord God. Open our eyes to present your word truly and clearly, God. Not yes, in our own flesh, God. Holy Spirit, it is you we need, God, to lead. We don't want to lead in our flesh in our way. God, we need you, Lord. Amen, Lord. It is you we come to. God, in Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise you. Oh, brother. Don't, don't go away yet, brother. <laughs> He's just sweating up a storm. Before we segue into the Lord's Supper, uh, we have something to give Jerome to be a memento of this occasion. Actually, three things. Here's the first one, brother. This is my own copy of th this book will convict you. It'll cut you to shreds. <laughs> it's called The Reformed Pastor. This was a Puritan named Richard Baxter. This is one of the classics of all time. Yeah. I'd like you to have that. Um, secondly, that's an old book. I want to give you a new book. John MacArthur, Pastoral Ministry. Okay. And then from the body, we've got a third memento that maybe this will remember your high calling. Pastor, it says, Pastor, a prayer for you. Lord, please bless our pastor. Thank you for your call to service and the ministry of your word, for equipping your faithful servant to shepherd your flock, and for the devoted dedication which has been shown. We pray you would grant your eternal blessings and also pray that you would provide for the daily needs. Thank you for honoring the prayers of your people. And here's the scripture. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. 1 Timothy 4, 13-15. So, brother, this is for you, too. Amen. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> so you can hang that up every time you see it. You're reminded of God's call in your life. Amen. Amen. And the, the passing of time. <laughs> yeah, amen. Amen. Is there anything you want to share with the church this morning? Yeah, it's just, oh man, as we're praying, <laughs> I just, just the weight of this, I don't take it lightly. And I just think about where God has brought me from and just how he worked it to allow me to be here. And I so, man, I'm, I'm just thankful um, that God worked it all. 
and brought me to this place and allowed me to, to lead. And all of you, I'm just so thankful for you all. Amen. You're, you're so awesome. And I just want to, I pray that we can just serve the Lord together. Amen. Amen. That's right. That we can make disciples. Yes. That this is not the right. time that we can raise up more elders. Amen. Plant more churches. Yeah. Praise God. God's kingdom going forward. So, amen. May this become a, a recurring theme, if you will. God raising up men of God. Amen. To lead his people. Wouldn't it be awesome within a year we had another elder? Amen. <laughs> so, Praise amen. God. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. All right. We're going to go ahead and segue into the Lord's Supper now.